Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast. In this Integrated Cancer Medicine Research in Focus series, I talk to various ICM members about their research and how it is supported by the vision of the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine. MFICM research uses cutting-edge analytics to maximise the use of diverse high-volume datasets and by capturing cancer heterogeneity in time and space in patients receiving active treatment. Integrated Cancer Medicine aims to transform the way the world treats cancer by affecting patients along their treatment pathway and ultimately accelerate cures. Today I have with me Dr. Helena andres Ter, Dr. Nikola Simijewski and Dr. Zora Shams to talk about integrative and interpretable artificial intelligence tools for bench-to-bedside research in cancer medicine. All three are research associates from the Department of Computer Science and Technology here at the University of Cambridge. All three are funded by the Mark Foundation for Cancer Research and the CRUK Cambridge Centre, and all three are members of the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine. So Helena, perhaps I could start with you. Could you briefly describe the project that you're working on and which uh, MFICM members and disease areas you are collaborating with? Yes, of course. So we are building the AI platform and tools to integrate multiple data modalities or data types that we have available for each patient. So we're currently focusing on breast cancer with Jean Abraham as the clinical group lead um, and Pietro Leo and Matea Jamnik as PIs on the AI side. But we also collaborate very closely with experts on each data modality or each data stream. So for instance, we work with people on the genomic side, like Dr. Oscar Reda, but also we collaborate with people on the imaging side with mammograms and, and MRI, like Ramona Wojtek. And we've also been working very closely with people on the digital pathology side or imaging of tumor slices like Ali Dariush. You've mentioned some different types of data sets there. So which data streams are you integrating and how are you achieving that? Yeah, so we mainly have three data streams or three modalities that are genetic, clinical and imaging. And then for each one of them, we may have multiple types as well. Uh, so for instance, genetic, we have gene expression, but we also have copy number alteration. Imaging, we have uh, mammograms, MRI, digital pathology. So basically what we do is we first need to understand what's important from each one of the, of the data stream or modalities. And then we develop the methodologies to extract that information and also integrate or combine them to make more informative decisions. Thank you. So could I ask you how long you've been working on this project and where are you now in the timeline? Uh, the project begin with this around uh, three years, and we have just started the third year. The annual stages of uh, the project were uh, in the first year, we are only focusing on retrospective data, the data that is already available to us, and, and develop algorithms for those data. Second year was mainly focused on integrating the data, basically expanding on our pipeline. So we look at different modalities with the same retrospective data. And finally, in year three, we have two main priorities. One, to move from retrospective data to prospective data that is currently coming freshly out of the trials. And the second one, it's to prototype tools that have these algorithms at the background. And how close are you to achieving proof of concepts, do you think? 
So we already have proof of concept and maybe we can call it minimum viable products on two different fronts. Basically, we have a system that can allow you to explore the data and use the existing data to fit a model to the data and also make prediction for new patients having seen that uh, existing data. And also, we also have a system that comes hand in hand with this. We need to put some effort into pipelining them. But the other system basically looks at not only making the prediction, but how we can now explain this prediction. How can we tell clinician what features the model, the model focused on or what boundaries? Was it only age and beyond a certain age, below a certain age, kind of giving some degree of interaction to the clinician. So they are in this kind of loop of decision making. And Nicola, perhaps I can ask you, what have been the main challenges in this project? We are here in this project for designing and developing methods for integrative data analysis, which means we need to integrate different streams of data. And this data comes uh, with a number of complexities itself, such as it's heterogeneous first, of course, then it's high dimensional. So these methods that we are developing need to deal with this. And when we talk about high dimensional data, we are focusing here on developing methods that can simultaneously train models, learn models from numbers, thousands and thousands of features, while also trying to reduce this kind of dimensionality without loss of any important information. But nevertheless, in this scenario, since we are working with real patient data, typically these, let's say, challenges come from cohorts that do not have many samples. So now here we're talking with data sets that uh, have a low number of patients with many, many features. Typically, these are actually really challenging for most of the state-of-the-art machine learning methods, such as deep learning. And of course, we are really aware here that we are collaborating with clinicians and we're doing this for advancing cancer research first and foremost. Therefore, we are really not only in the pursuit of accuracy, but also interpretability. So we're also aiming to develop methods that besides their predictive accuracy will offer some new insights of the predictive tasks at hand. This will not only help the modeling process, but it also will help how we validate these models and how these models actually find their way into day-to-day -day clinical practice. And of course, I need to just mention that at the beginning of the project, so Zohar mentioned that we are now in beginning year three, but at the beginning of the project, there were also certain communication challenges, if I can say that, because this is an interdisciplinary group which brings together medical research scientists and data scientists. And there have been tremendous effort from both sides to establish this kind of common language where we can sort of openly discuss the most immediate problems and tasks that we have at hand. And whilst it's still ongoing, it, uh, it has already resulted in a, a great collaboration. Yes, I can imagine learning the context is paramount at the start of a project like Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also extremely yeah. tricky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we made some efforts, but most of the efforts were also made by the clinical researchers on the other side, some of those that Lena already mentioned. Zora, can I come back to you and ask, how does the use of AI and data integration improve the prediction in survival analysis and treatment planning for a patient? So basically, I don't think there is any doubt about the benefit of the actual integration, putting AI aside, because at the moment, we know that two patients with very similar clinical and imaging data might um, respond to the same treatment very, very differently, in which case 
perhaps the insight can be uh, sought after in their genetic background. So that integration allows you to have a holistic, comprehensive view about the patient and kind of have all the information for the best decision, whether it be survival analysis or treatment planning. And not only the data, but also one thing that we know that it has benefited a lot, and it is kind of complementary to the data, it's the knowledge that we have. And by knowledge, I mean, it could be electronic health record, or it could be uh, biomedical uh, ontologies that are actually expert curated. So now what you're facing, it's many different modalities that Nicola and Elena mentioned. So we have heterogeneous data, and also we have knowledge. So now integrating all of this often challenges many common statistical methods because one of them is natural language processing, another one is imaging, another one is numerical data. And basically what AI gives you, it's important in two different fronts. One, it's being capable of handling heterogeneous types of data and knowledge. And the other one, it's being able to cope with a very high volume of data because we're talking about millions of electronic health records, or you might be talking about thousands and thousands of features, say gene expression for the same patient. So using AI does give you these two benefits. Thank you. Well, Nicola, can I come back to you? Have any of these methods been used in a clinical trial yet on patients in real time? So far, we've been mostly working in a retrospective setting. So working with data from past studies such as Metabric and TCGA in order to design, develop and evaluate the different approaches and test their properties of the methods given these kinds of data. We've recently started working in a prospective setting where we try to perform integrative data analysis simultaneously with ongoing clinical trials in the breast cancer domain. I would say that with these methods that we are working on now, they will be implicitly used by the clinicians that we're collaborating with us in their day-to-day practice. Nevertheless, we are definitely investigating different directions of how these methods or approaches or whole pipelines can be quickly and efficiently deployed in practice. And as Zohra mentioned, there have been some recent developments in terms of proof of principle tools, which offer a visual interface for integrative data analysis and, and reasoning. Therefore, we hope that these attempts will make things more tangible and let's say user-friendly. I must say that uh, the reaction and the feedback so far of these tools both from the clinicians and the project consortium in general have been amazing. And it's definitely an additional wind at our backs, uh, if I can say. And we're really excited to develop these things uh, further and hopefully see them in practice as soon as possible. And Helena, can I ask, how do the clinicians process the information at the minute and how do they pass it on to patients or how will they do that in the future? So at the moment, we are aware that there are a few software examples that provide some sort of integration, although they usually only combine a few data streams or a few variables and are not very flexible in terms of adding new modalities. So, for instance, in the genetic and clinical side, there's a popular one that's called PREDICT. And this is a software tool that is relatively well extended among clinicians, and it provides survival estimates and adjuvant therapies based on clinical genetic variables, but only on a few of them. So our idea of what we're doing is building a more general approach that incorporates a wider range of modalities. And then it can also be extended to provide additional and more informative predictions other than just survival or potential therapies. 
So then clinicians will also be able to compute the risk for each patient based on their personal data and then make their own decisions in terms of the treatment and the diagnostic based on this integrated information. And how will these techniques change the patient pathway, do you think? At the moment, there's a relatively well-established patient pathway in terms of data collection for diagnostic and treatment. So basically how it works is it starts the first information that comes in from patients is from a clinical perspective, and it comes from an initial examination and referral done by GPs. Then these patients are referred to the breast clinic if there's something that has been detected by the GPs. And then they will have a further clinical examination and some images will be taken. So usually the first imaging that will be done will be mammograms and ultrasound, and then later on, maybe even MRIs. So at this point, we have already two data modalities that can be integrated and then can potentially also help assess the next steps of the treatment and the diagnostic. So our platform will allow that. So starting with imaging and clinical and then start building a patient profile that would highlight the risks and the urgency maybe for further testing or, or for different treatments. So then the addition of genetic data usually comes in a bit after, but for some patients, we may be able to, to detect or to suggest a, an earlier on genetic examination our platform would provide a way of knowing when and what information is needed for each individual and then can help with timing, costs, and ultimately can lead to more accurate treatments and, and diagnostics. And Zara, how do you see it being incorporated into the standard of clinical care? Perhaps you can talk to the situation in the UK and then globally as well? But yes, that's a very interesting question and it can be answered in many different ways. But in general, the way that we have always imagined the set of tools we are building, it's for them to be used as clinical decision support systems. So basically, we imagine them to be used in day-to-day -day practice by a clinician and would allow them to have a, a more accurate prediction about the patient. And not only more accurate, it's something that is more personalized to the patient. And it allows them to basically make more informed decisions tailored to a certain patient. So now uh, clinical decision support systems are not uncommon in healthcare. There are a variety of them that are used by different experts in health setting. But perhaps something that is a bit less common, it's using a clinical decision support system that at the back can have very sophisticated algorithms that look at many different data types and perhaps even different cohort of patient. And ultimately the decision that they suggest might be something that clinician might relate to right away or um, not really. So uh, one thing that is very important for the deployment of such algorithm in clinical decision support system is having that ongoing conversation and development between clinicians who are actually running this trial and exposing patients to treatment and computational scientists who are actually building these tools and ultimately if they are be to be deployed say in a national level or even higher in a global level there are other issues that maybe they are not right related to the science but are extremely important those have to be looked into as well for scalability and those are things such as the confidentiality of the data the privacy of the patients or the scalability of the approach is it possible to cope so many countries they don't have a national health system how can this be deployed in their setting in a distributed manner so these are all the concerns that need to be addressed to ensure the successful deployment of these systems in a higher level 
But ultimately, if this goal is achieved, one thing that is for sure is in the direction of democratizing cancer care and offering that higher standard clinic of care to every patient, regardless of where they are, even if they are in a very remote location. And it's definitely something that is worthwhile doing. For sure, yeah. Um, Nicola, can I ask you what is the long-term aim of the project? So Zohra actually outlined really important challenges that we need to focus long-term. I would say if we would like to really have these kinds of approaches available in day-to-day practice. So I would say that in my opinion or in our opinion, I would say that we should definitely expand on three different fronts. So one should be better data acquisition and standardization of how the data is being collected and is being kept. So it would facilitate much better downstream data analysis uh, and cataloging. And of course, better methods for, for data federation, where data can be brought together from different hospitals across countries, across uh, continents, if you like. So it will be available for clinicians from different parts of the globe to actually analyze and make more informative decisions. Next, I would say better data analysis, where we should focus on designing and developing novel, let's say, machine learning or AI methods, which can cope with these different complexities of the data now also, given the geographical aspect of it. And of course, at the end of the day, we also need to focus on the deployment itself. One thing is when methods work in a research setting, but where we want to see them is actually in clinical practice, helping the patients. So therefore, I would say we should focus on how we deploy these methods. Uh, And of course, this brings up different challenges, I would say. One is how we secure the data and the methods, how we anonymize the patients. There are different laws that actually protect these kinds of data. And of course, how these methods are used in practice and whether they're interpretable. So the findings themselves, we're not only interested, as we mentioned before, in accuracy, but we are also really interested into learning something about the specific problem. Therefore, we hope that extending uh, across this trip, let's say, France, would lead to better patient care and better treatment, and of course, hopefully early diagnosis. This would uh, definitely allow for collecting or integrating more heterogeneous data, if I may, which hopefully will also lead in a better generalization of the methods that we develop across different cohorts, hospitals, or ultimately even tumors. So just so I get this right, your machine is is a learning machine. So the more data you put into it, the more it learns. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Let's say that the algorithms that we're developing would be better at aiding the, the ultimate decision when more data is provided, of course. Yes. Nicola, can I ask you where you see your research taking you in the next five to 10 years and how this project fits in with your broader research? Whilst we are working on this project, there are also, besides challenging cancer research questions, there are really challenging machine learning research questions. Therefore, I would say from a machine learning point of view, an interesting direction for investigation would be methods for better representation learning, where we would like to develop methods that can integrate data and learn common representation of the data for a patient that therefore can be better used for any upper and downstream predictive analysis. 
also combining with methods from causal inference, it will definitely help uh, learning something more about these kinds of problems. And again, ultimately lead to better diagnosis and prognosis, as well as improve personalized treatment and personalized medicine. And Helena, can I ask you the same question? Yes, yeah, so I'm personally very interested in generative modeling or generative methods and unsupervised learning. And I do think that there's a lot of potential in the combination of generative models and machine learning, and especially in biology and medical data. So I think that by combining prior knowledge and learning from the data, we can build more powerful models that can help us understand and predict diseases and also model complex biological systems. So in the medical field, I do think that unsupervised learning and generative models can also help a bit with data privacy. So I think that looking ahead, these models can generate samples, basically. And if they're developed enough, we could potentially try to generate synthetic patient profiles and then to better understand the effect of drugs or to understand the effect of having multiple conditions. So all of this can be modeled, but first we need to learn it from the data. And that is looking farther ahead in the future, though. At the moment, we're, we're not there yet. Sure. And Sarah, can I ask you the same question? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So it's definitely been a very eye-opening uh, experience working in this class setting with clinician and cancer data. And this has obviously made me think of many future research directions that I'd like to pursue. But I think the overall theme of all of them can be summarized as kind of moving from exploitation of the data to exploration and discovery. And I elaborate what I mean by that. So currently what we are mainly focusing on is say a new patient comes to the clinic and we want to say, this is a very big generalization, but I think it can be summarized as we want to see if this patient is similar to this five patient and these five patients have responded well to this treatment, we can expose this patient to that treatment as well. Moving away from this exploitation of what's already in the data, there is a lot that is unknown about cancer and biology in general, and especially genomic data. So how can we move away from AI learning from expert to the other way around, to actually expert taking away something from AI. So there are some examples of that already in drug repurposing. So say, especially in COVID, we are seeing a lot of this. So AI would suggest this drug could be useful, although it's not being used for this disease, but could potentially have some benefit. Now, ultimately, it's down to clinician to actually uh, pursue this and verify this. I'm not suggesting we should right away uh, use them, but it definitely shrinks the search space to things that are more promising. And this means actually eliminating needs for many trials. We know that running trials is a very lengthy process. Many trials actually never lead anywhere. So we can easily by computation eliminate many of those ones and focus on those that are way more promising. And this is ideally where I want to take my research from exploitation to discovery. Thank you. So obviously we've been focusing on breast cancer mainly. Could your model be used in other types of cancers as well? Zora, can I throw that one out to you? Yeah, sure. So most of what we are developing, it's very generic. I could say all, but I say most because sometimes we also allow the clinician to specifically inject something to the model that is from their day-to-day -day practice and observation. Apart from that, the algorithms themselves, they're very generic and they can be applied readily available to any other types of cancer. That's really exciting. Does anyone else have anything to comment on that? I mean, if I can add, I think transferring the learning that we've done or what we've, what we've designed for breast cancer to other types of cancer 
would need some further exploration probably on the modalities or the data streams that we have because they may be different. The tests that are done on different types of cancer may differ from the ones that we have been exploring. But nevertheless, the underlying models would remain probably the same or similar. So it's definitely possible. And that's the idea of the whole pipeline. And Nicola? I would just add that besides integrating, let's say, data in the statistical sense, such as measure data, we're also interested in, let's say, integrating knowledge. Therefore, this kind of transferability across cancers would also benefit by integrating different variants of knowledge, which is already cataloged somehow and, let's say, structured. We hope at least not only that we'll be able to to transfer these methods, but also even improve when we do that, hopefully, again. Uh, it's, it's just a hypothesis for now. So I've just wanted to finally sum up and say thank you so much for such a really interesting discussion this afternoon. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about your research. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. to find out more about the work of the Mark Foundation Institute for Integrated Cancer Medicine, please visit our website at www.integratedcancermedicine.org, where you can find details of the ICM vision, all the current research, clinical trials, resources, publications and team information. You can keep up to date with our latest news and events and you can also sign up for our newsletter. If you would like more information about the work of the CRUK Cambridge Centre, please go to www.cruk.cambridgecentre.org.uk or you can connect with us on Twitter using our handle at CRUKCAMCENTRE. Thanks for listening and do join us again soon.